Hello, this is Daniel Poppy, pastor at Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope this message will help you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by visiting theroadfc.org and click on the giving link. Have you guys seen these, uh, these adventure movies, Titanic, the Poseidon Adventure, you know, these kind of movies where all of a sudden some kind of disaster is taking place and things get real scary all at once. I was reading a, a kind of a news article. This is an older article of an incident that took place somewhere in the English islands, uh, similar to this, like all these tourists had boarded this ferry. It was a ferry that carried cargo and, um, not cargo, cars and holiday makers all together. They get all loaded up, they pull away from port, and somehow the crew had failed to seal the doors properly. I mean, you can feel your anxiety coming up as you even think about that. And sure enough, that's what happened. Water starts pouring in. And very quickly, very quickly, this ferry begins to sink. You know, these happy, relaxed atmosphere of people hopeful, like entering onto their vacation, right about to begin a great time, turns into some sort of horror movie, right? And all at once, it's almost like it was a movie, all at once, a, a passenger you know, in the midst of the chaos, begins kind of taking charge because, you know, the chaos was such that like the, the crew, you know, nobody was really doing their thing, but a passenger starts kind of helping people know where to go. Like, don't panic, slow down. You know, he's not a crew member, not someone who naturally would have been looked to for rescue. He was an unexpected, unlooked for help in this moment of need. A clear voice with instructions on what to do. Relief began to kind of resurface among the panic, you know, as people realized that at least someone was in charge. Someone was kind of like taking control of this situation, managing to point people towards lifeboats and get people in rafts as this boat began to sink. You know, these rafts, these lifeboats that they might have otherwise missed in the dark and the panic. This is happening at, at night. And then, of course, our hero is continuing to, to work and, you know, makes his way down into the hold. And, of course, there's more people down in the hold. And he's holding the ladder and literally kind of helping pull people towards the ladder to make their way out. Pulling people to safety. You know, when the nightmare was all over, at least according to the story, the rescuer who had saved so many was found drowned in the hold. He had literally given his life using the authority and the compassion-fueled actions that kind of kicked him into, into action to save so many. You know, I guess it doesn't take much imagination to see how this is a parallel to what we may be talking about today. Christ, our Savior, helping so many of us find safety where we might have otherwise missed it in the panic. Today, we're going to take this same picture of this hero stepping into this situation and transfer it to a different sea coast, this time along the Sea of Galilee in the town of Capernaum, where another man was entering into a synagogue and demonstrating power and authority to the world in a unique way. 
We'll hear once again from the Gospel of Mark this morning as we continue in our season of epiphany of learning what we can from the life and the model and the words and the miracles of Christ and how that might lead us to our own aha moments. But before we begin with our scripture, let us pray together. Holy Spirit, you, your people call out for understanding. Lord, bring to our yearning hearts and minds the truth of your word. Through the authority of your Holy Spirit, awaken our hearts and minds to the work that you are doing in and through us today. In Jesus' name, we thank you. We pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we'll be in Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 28. Again, as we remember from the book of Mark, as we started last week, these are very short, concise, action-packed stories. But let us hear Mark 21 through 28. Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum. Again, remember, just last week, Jesus called Andrew and James and the sons of Zebedee. So these are his companions. They went to the, it was the Sabbath day, and they went into the synagogue, and Jesus began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. Suddenly, a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Come out of the man, he ordered. And at that, the evil spirit screamed, threw the man onto the convulsions, and then he came out of him. Amazement gripped the audience. And they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this? They asked excitedly. It has such authority. Even evil spirits obey his orders. The news about Jesus spread quickly throughout the entire region of Galilee. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know, this story of this miracle, Jesus' first public display of authority and power in the book of, of Mark, at least, you know, it might kind of run right by us without much thought if we're not careful. You know, because the Bible, especially the book of Mark, is so packed with these stories, just kind of one after another. Or perhaps this scenario, as you hear about it, as you think about it, as you begin to consider it, it generates more questions in your mind than it answers about Jesus. It's fairly mysterious. Scripture is kind of funny that way, in that oftentimes it can cause us to have more questions than it answers. But there are a few themes in this story that stand out. A few themes that help us not only understand what Mark is attempting to do in his gospel as presenting Christ as the Messiah, but also in our finding of our place in this story that kind of seems out of whack with the way we live our lives and what we experience day to day. You know, these opening stories in the book of Mark serve to show us what God is up to and how we are invited to join in in that work. You know, first, Mark is demonstrating that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, the manifestation of God incarnate among us. 
but without diminishing the humanness that Jesus displays. Today, our story demonstrates that Jesus' power is coming in this place of worship, in the synagogue, on this day of gathering together. Next week and in the weeks to come, we're going to see how that same power is demonstrated not only in the, the synagogue, the temple, the holy place, but also in our homes and in the street. It's interesting to see how he structures these stories in their locations. The kingdom's authority, what Mark is suggesting, is all-encompassing. There's not one place where it's kind of meant or centralized that it reaches all parts of our lives. It's not segregated to certain aspects of who we are. And unlike the authority that's so often demonstrated at this time by the power-hungry rulers around, the stance that Jesus take, takes in his authority is altogether unique. It's, it's utterly human in its nature. You might even say it's humanist. For the kingdom's concern begins and ends with people, with our hearts and our minds and our souls. In this passage, Mark draws our attention to two major things, two primary things that Jesus is demonstrating. He's demonstrating authority, but he's doing it in two areas. He's demonstrating authority for our minds, our understanding, our hearing. If you remember from our message last week, this is metanoia. This is where Jesus is saying, learn things in a new way. I'm here to help you see things differently. But he's also demonstrating authority over our bodies, over our spirits. And both the opening of our minds and the healing of our bodies lead to freedom and healing and rescue. Jesus is here to guide us in a new understanding. And he is here to bring healing and restoration to all that ails us. In ancient times, when a new king was crowned, their power and authority needed to immediately be put to the test. Oftentimes, this was, you know, through a king leading his army out into a conquest or into combat or some kind of diplomatic confrontation. You know, in other words, the king had to be proven. Even in the Old Testament scriptures, once a judge or a king has been anointed, proclamation and give, given God's spirit for a task, he had to go out and prove his calling. This is what Mark is trying to demonstrate in this passage today. This is exactly what Jesus is doing when he says these things, proving his power of authority. It says, when the Sabbath came, he went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority quite unlike the teachers of religious law. In his teaching, Jesus is explaining and expounding upon scripture in a new way, in a way that was unexpected, at least for those who were listening. You know, technically, Jesus is not recognized as a rabbi in the official Jewish system. Remember, you know, the, the children who came up through the Jewish system of, of learning the Torah, Torah school and all that kind of stuff, if they were the top of the class, they continued and they were the ones in line to become a rabbi. It was those who went back to study the family trade that were kind of like the ones left out. 
And we know that Jesus spent time apprenticing with his father as a carpenter. So Jesus was not recognized as an official rabbi in the Jewish system, one who was given authority to bring personal interpretations to scripture. And yet that's what he's doing in this passage. Most of these teachers of the law or religious helpers, those who kind of helped in the synagogue, which is likely what Jesus was being recognized as in this story, you know, most of them would read the scripture and then begin to say things or teach things by reciting what this or that other popular rabbi had said. You know, they would say things like, you know, after reading the scripture, they would say things like, Moses taught us by saying, and then they would repeat all of Moses' words. Or they might say, you've heard rabbi so-and-so say it this way and kind of explain it that way. They would essentially kind of puppet the words that others who had been given authority before them had said. But Jesus was teaching differently. He was immediately giving new insight and interpretation of the scripture right from the start. Often unraveling misunderstandings or misinterpretations of the scripture. We don't know exactly what passage he was teaching on in this story. We don't know what he was confronting, but there was no doubt about the result of it. We see it in two areas. Of course, we see it in the, the crowd just being awe-inspired by his wisdom and his charisma, but we also see it through this man who is carrying an evil spirit. Without heaven's anointing upon Jesus, teaching in this way would have been heresy. You know, they would have chased him out of the temple. You know, a teacher of the law giving interpretations in this way. But clearly God's spirit was upon the words that he was expressing. In this case, the nature and the essence of what Jesus shared must have been music to the ears of the crowd. Jesus' wisdom and spiritual authority was made clear. But then suddenly a man in the synagogue was possessed by an evil spirit and he cried out, why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus reprimanded him, be quiet, come out of the man he ordered. You know, this scene adds a note of discord in the confrontation with this evil spirit. And Jesus, once again, demonstrates kind of the second mark of a king, the authority of power that's upon him. He didn't need to charge into battle among the nations. Confrontation sought Jesus out. <laughs> it may be tempting to try to downplay this moment in scripture of these warring supernatural powers. And I kind of thought about this, that this week. Am I going to talk about demon possession, you know, in our passage this morning? But, you know, I don't think there's anything to be gained by explaining away the nature of this evil spirit or its influence on the man. You know, when it comes to the supernatural, you tend to kind of fall into two camps. Either you make a devil out of every situation and every circumstance in your life, or you just kind of utterly ignore it and say that that stuff's not real and just deny it. And yet, there are moments in our lives when the supernatural breaks through. 
we might tend to try to explain it away in logical scientific terms. In the West, you know, we're often far too ready to ignore or explain away the supernatural elements, not only of scripture, but of our lives. But clearly in Jesus's day, in his understanding, not only were these things present, but as we'll see in these stories, they're almost commonplace, it feels like. You know, the unclean spirit in this story might seem to behave oddly. We see this oftentimes in these confrontations when the spirits name Jesus. But really this action, this action of naming your, your adversary or your foe was again something that was popular or, or common in the time. In the ancient world, if two warring nations were kind of going against each other, if one warring king was facing another, you know, if they could identify and fully list and know who it was they were going against, they could name their sires and all that kind of stuff, they were able to demonstrate dominance over the other. But Jesus was having none of this. Upon using his proper names, his proper titles, he wouldn't allow that power to come over him. He quickly dispatched the spirit from the man, leaving him released from the bondage that had confined him. We don't know for how long. And thereby passing the second test of his authority. Authority in word and authority in power. There was no struggle. The power of the light of heaven was simply made evident. And in doing so, the weakness of the enemy had to flee. No walled city was besieged. No war campaign enacted. No dungeons were broken open in a literal sense. But Jesus is nonetheless freeing captives and setting us free, clearly demonstrating the victorious power of heaven over the powers of sin and death, the things that bind us, keep us captive. You know, we don't know the colorful dialogue that might have happened. Either there was no colorful dialogue or Mark just kind of left it out of his accounts. We don't know what kind of things might have been said, but clearly the point is being made that there's a new sheriff in town and things are about to change. The enemy's power has clung to humanity for far too long. So heaven shows up in the person of Jesus and is ready to respond. But unlike maybe the movies that we see where the powers of good and evil kind of face off with one another, What's often common in these stories is like you and I, the bystanders, were caught in the crossfire. There's all kinds of collateral damage taking place when these powers confront. But notice what Jesus does or perhaps what he does not do. He doesn't punish or condemn the spiritually oppressed man. As a matter of fact, the man is set free as a result of this power struggle. The kingdom of heaven is undisputable, the power of the kingdom. But it's not cruel, and it's not cold in exercising its power. I think this is important for us. As we said earlier, 
in achieving the purposes of the kingdom of heaven, humanity is elevated and restored. It's not collateral damaged to simply just kind of be fodder in the, in the midst. And I think this is important for us. You know, in the kingdom of heaven, the ends never justify the means. It all works together. Even in this moment of divine power driving out evil, the aftermath is not damage, it's restoration. You know, we don't know much about this man. Was he a regular at the synagogue? Or did he just show up on this day? Was he known by the community? It could have been somebody sitting right next to you in this story. Did they know that this man car carried an evil spirit? I don't, I don't think so. It's not told. We don't know exactly. But presumably, the man was fitting in. In other words, he wasn't being alienated or called out prior to this moment until the power of heaven came on full display and the man became a victim of the enemy's defense. We don't know what the moments following this were like for the man, but we do know that one who was once bound and oppressed is now free. Jesus interacted with the devil, but he saw a person. He saw someone in need of freedom and rescue. I think that's important for us to recognize is the compassion of the kingdom of heaven. And up to this point, we've seen Jesus demonstrating power in his words. And now we've seen Jesus demonstrating power in his actions. And just like with the kings and kingdoms of the day, when a new power was revealed, it was important to get the word out that the king was now in power and in place. It's an interesting thing that happens all throughout the book of Mark. Jesus does something miraculous in view of everyone, and then he says, but don't tell anybody. Keep it secret. What's the best way to spread a secret? It's called a secret. You know, oftentimes in, in the, these days, that's, and even in the movies we watch, that's why when a new king is set in place, a, a tournament or a, a, a battle was often held to kind of make a statement, make a splash. Proclamations were written and messengers could be dispatched. But clearly Jesus understood that the best way to spread news was simply to start enacting it. To start enacting something new. The book of Mark starts with three miracles in quick succession. We're looking at one today. We'll look at two more next week. Today's miracle takes place in the temple. Next week, a miracle takes place in someone's home and then in the street out in front of that home. Three common spheres that our lives interact with. And in each one, the power of heaven, the kingdom, is demonstrated in, in beauty and healing. Matthew, Mark, and John are full of discourses of Jesus' teaching. But Mark knows that often actions speak louder than words. In our passage today, the content of Jesus' teaching is not really even expanded upon. It's not really told. 
But the outcome was made very, very clear. Awe, wonder, healing, redemption, proclamation, and invitation. Jesus spends much of his ministry teaching and healing, loving, speaking truth in a way that creates space for people to wonder alternative possibilities of their lives. Jesus spent much of his ministry teaching and healing and loving and speaking, but really he's creating space for people to see and to wonder alternative possibilities for their lives. This is often in stark contrast to the possibilities depicted to them through their existing boundaries, through their existing circumstances, perhaps through the laws and the rules and the commandments that they've been living under. You know, people see and experience the power of heaven and they are compelled to follow and to see if they can figure out for themselves who this Jesus truly is. You know, we're open to believing the impossible because we've seen it with our eyes. We've seen it with our own eyes. Our story today shows Jesus beginning to struggle with the forces of evil and destruction around him. But like the story of our rescuer at sea that we opened with together, these forces feel like a dark, cruel sea pouring in on top of the frightened and helpless passengers. And yet here's Jesus, a man, rescue, a man of rescue, stepping in to bring salvation. Jesus came to be the human bridge for us from our moments of fear and doubt and lost condition into safety and wholeness. And if in the process he paid with his own life the price by saving humanity through his authority as a bridge of outstretched arms carrying people from death into life, that was simply part of the integrity of his actions. Of course, we know the full story. Jesus wasn't held down in death, resurrected, given us power. On the Christ, on the cross, he completed the healing work that he began this day in the synagogue. And in his resurrection, he stopped any discussion about who held the ultimate authority. <laughs> you know, and it doesn't stop there. How does this passage, this story end? Do you see it for yourself? The people have seen authority demonstrated. They've seen power. They've seen it demonstrated. Do you see yourself as a person who carries on what they've seen? In his promised empowerment through the Holy Spirit and through the impartation of power and authority given in his name on Pentecost. All those who stand with Jesus, standing in his vanguard, so to speak, we're equipped to carry on the freedom and the justice carried out in this passage. Do you see yourself that way? 
Do you see yourself as someone like Jesus who's carrying power and authority in word and deed? Do you see yourself as a representative carrying the very power and authority that Jesus expressed through his compassion over the darkness of the lives around him? It's a rhetorical question. I think for most of us, we don't see ourselves that way. We don't see ourselves as the hero stepping in on the sinking ship to do this work. But today, I wonder if this might be a bit of our invitation. How does the power and authority of heaven rest upon your shoulders, rest upon your lives? There's no denying that this is exactly what God intends. This is how God intends his kingdom to work. It says amazement gripped the audience and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of teaching is this, they asked excitedly. It has such authority, even the evil spirits obey his orders. And the news began about Jesus began to spread quickly throughout the entire region of Galilee. Yes, they're telling the, the news that Jesus is in town. They're saying the Messiah, a new power, a new prophet has come. In a few weeks, we'll hear how Jesus then extends this power upon his very followers and asks them to go out and do the same. So you're hearing a bit of a, of a foreshadow to what we'll be spending our time in. But Jesus, in his demonstration of power and authority, he didn't expect that there would be certain professional Christians who were expected to spread the news and to ultimately accomplish the work of heaven. His plan was us. His plan was those who hear and see what he has done. You know, this might be frightening for you. Or it might be exciting. I don't know. I hope that at the very least, it's encouraging and a timely reminder. But as Jesus demonstrated, it's important for us to remember the power of heaven over the things that are around us, the things that bind us and the things that afflict us. This power is cold, is never cold. It's always love and compassion. The Holy Spirit upon us behaves and works the way we see Jesus behaving and working. You know, one thing, unlike Jesus and his teaching where he is expanding upon new revelations, we don't necessarily have to think up all new revelations and new understandings. We simply get to rely on the words of Jesus. It's not a cop-out for us to do it that way. We don't have to come up with new interpretations, new teachings. We simply have to trust in his authority and his power extended to us. So these are our questions today. How do our actions reveal Christ in the world? Are we telling the story of the things we've seen? Are we enacting the things that we've seen Jesus do? May we enact the love and the compassion of heaven in our environments, in our situations. We who have encountered Christ, may we draw others to the same encounter that we have experienced. May the Holy Spirit flame, fan the flame of mercy and generosity that's within each of us. Extending that to others, 
who might be left to still in their moment of waiting, in their moment of encounter with the Lord. And may we impress them for who Jesus really is just through our lives, through our actions. May we make space for the kingdom to work in and through us in surprising and compelling ways. I think this is the story for us today. This is the moment for us to consider as we do each week in your worship folders, there's a few questions for you to be able to interact with. There's prayers for you to take home with you. There's activity, uh, kind of a reflection that you're able to enter into throughout the week. I know this context doesn't always leave room for discussing these things, but that's kind of what I would wish we could do, is have a discussion about this. But I trust that you can carry that with you. Find moments where you can discuss these things with your family or your friends, those near you. As we draw ourselves and gather around the Lord's table, let us pray. God, it's kind of an awesome, amazing, inspiring, and sometimes intimidating idea that the things that we saw Jesus do that these are the very things you've invited us, not only invited us, but you've really told us that your kingdom, in order for it to spread, is going to be doing that through the Spirit upon our lives. It can feel intimidating. But God, we want to confess that we know it's not through our own power. We know it's not through our own charisma and our own intelligence and our own authority. It's simply through the power of the Spirit within us that your kingdom is extended. And God, the encouragement that you tell us often is, is this. It's, it's just a simple act. It's a simple life of living in devotion and love and compassion. We don't always understand the moments that we share with others, but often it's just as through a kind word, a kind conversation, an unhurried moment that we can be the hands and feet of Christ. Through the extension of generosity in small or big ways that we can extend the kingdom. So God, we ask for your help. We ask that you would guide us and lead us not only to proclaim the news as we see it, but God, to enact the kingdom of heaven when given the opportunity. Amen.